everyone. Welcome to Blue Futures Podcast, Stride, Organizing with Purpose, where we showcase the incredible work and voices of progressive, young, motivated organizers and leaders. Each week, we will bring to you their stories from all across the country. These people are working hard to make our world a more free and just place. If you or someone you know might be interested in chatting with us, send us a message on Instagram at BlueFutureNow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining the Stride Podcast here with Blue Future. We are excited to interview another youth organizer today. I, my name is Morgan Starr, and I am joined by my co-host, Nick Guthman. Nick, how are you doing today? Hey, doing well. Another day, another podcast. We're really excited for the conversation. It's going to be a good one, folks. Yes, it is. Yeah, we are. We really love getting to hear more about young people's stories and how they got into politics. And that is what we have for you today. Uh, Today, we have youth organizer Olivia Stores with us. Uh, She, her pronouns, Olivia, it is so great to have you with us. How are you doing today? I'm I'm good. It's a little bit rainy in D.C., but I'm having a wonderful day. Awesome. Well, happy to hear that. I think, you know, maybe just to get started, if you could introduce yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from and, you know, what what you're doing. Yeah. So my name is Olivia, um, like like we've already covered. Um, And I'm originally from just outside of Boulder, Colorado. Um, I'm the oldest of four um, and you know, started in public service at a really young age. Uh, I started kind of community organizing when I was 14. Um, and my mom was really involved in a local education group. Um, and so I was able to get involved with um, passing a mill levy override in the state of Colorado, which ended up uh, increasing education funding for my district. Um, and that led to testifying um, in the Colorado State Senate um, and I've been kind of doing community organizing and, and working on specific policy issues ever since. Um, I graduated from the University of Denver in 2018, uh, and then I got my master's from the London School of Economics in uh, 2021, uh, and I currently live in Washington, D.C. Right on. Uh, yeah, great to hear that introduction. And you mentioned that you got started around age 14. I wonder if you could shed a light on what spurred you to take action, what inspired you um, to take action? Yeah, um, so lots of things. A few few organizations really were pivotal in kind of what what I see as kind of developing my political consciousness. So I started as an organizer with New Era Colorado uh, when I was about 15 or 14, um, and that was a really wonderful experience. I've always really admired the work that they do, uh, but started with, you know, some basic organizing one-on-one classes with them, um, and then got more involved with kind of voter outreach um, and voter registration through their work, um, as well as really thinking about policy areas that uh, affect young people in a specific way. Uh, I then also worked with Young Invincibles in Colorado, um, who are also organizing at both the state and a federal level um, to uh, kind of advocate for issues that affect young people. And then I think more than anything, my work has always come from um, kind of seeing what things might look like in my life or in the lives of people I care about. Um, I 
My mom is a public school teacher, and I've always been inspired by her commitment to service and her commitment to learning and ensuring that everybody, you know, has meaningful choices um, in the world. And so, you know, her commitment to ensuring everyone had equitable access to education in my school district was just the start of kind of looking at policy as a means to ensure that everyone has really meaningful choice and meaningful access to equal educational and employment opportunities. So all the way from kind of registering young people to vote uh, to what I'm doing today, um, kind of there's clearly a through line. Yeah, there definitely is. And that's really great to see, uh, especially when we can align our passions and really our heart with our work. And something that really stood out to me was when you're mentioning your work at New Era Colorado and you were, you know, 14 or 15 in this room kind of learning these basics. How how was that being, you know, probably I'm assuming one of the only young people or you know, how did you find your way as a young person uh, so early on learning about this type of work? Ooh, um I mean, I really had excellent guidance. I had excellent mentors um and again, saw my my family um involved in civil organizing and in public service. Um, and it just was a part of my life. You know, I went to school board meetings with my mom all my entire life. Like I started protesting at 10, bang. Uh, so learned kind of tools of organizing. Um, and then was invited into a very a variety of institutions of power. So, you know, I interned at the Colorado State Senate and was able to kind of see what that looked like there. Um, and I and, and throughout all of those experiences, adults really were intentional about inviting me into those spaces, which was really wonderful. Um, that said, I definitely, you know, had to convince a lot of I registered my, almost my entire senior class to vote when I was like. 1718. Um, and I really had to convince a lot of people my age that voting was important. Um, and I still look back in some of those, some of the things that I would say or like the pitches I would make. And it was just, I, I like love that younger version of myself. It was like so, and I continue to be, but really, really hopeful and idealistic and uh, just thought it was so important to be involved. And I, I still think that, but I, I don't know exactly where that came from. I think definitely definitely was able to hold on to that hope as a child, um, which is certainly a privilege, um, but really had always had an expectation that things would be fair um, or that things would feel like they're moving towards justice, um, which I think is something I'm trying to hold on to it. I think uh, young people have these real perspectives on, on how life could be or how it should be. And I think adulthood is often the process of recognizing how things are. And then you lose this kind of justice-oriented perspective of like, well, things could be fair. So I don't know. I think I think it comes from that, but really credit very much to my mentors and teachers, uh, as well as my my parents for for modeling kind of public service and 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 organizing and thought thinking thinking about issues with with your community. I resonate so deeply with with really everything you're saying. My start in politics was also related to my parents' commitment to some form of service and also the teachers that I had. And um, maybe we could make some T-shirts or a pin that says I registered almost my whole senior class because I think many of our previous guests, myself included, uh, had a similar initiative um, before there were uh, some of these other organizations that really make it easier now, I think, to get 
um, high school senior classes registered to vote and stuff. One thing we used to do is on their birthday, we had a, we got the roster of folks' birthday and we would pull them out of class or go into their class with a re- voter registration card and everyone would sing happy birthday in, in like their fourth period or something like that. Um, and uh, I look back also like, oh, that was such a interesting tactic. That was such a fun tactic um, and, and stuff. So thanks for sharing all of that. And to all of you seniors uh, listening or, or rising seniors in high school, um, you can hit up uh, Olivia or myself or any one of our previous guests probably to uh, hear about how they did that. Um, but an, another uh, area of interest I want to maybe uncover, explore a bit more is just like your path in education. Um, you mentioned, you know, going to the University of Denver and then London uh, for school. Um, I wonder if you can talk about how maybe like the international perspective has helped to shape some of your political views and, and the work that you're focused on. Well, first of all, I love the idea of, of registering people on their 18th birthday. That's so wonderful. Oh, that's so cute. Um, it was like, happy birthday. Here's your registration card. We'll help you fill it out if you need help. Um, and I think we put like a Tootsie Roll or like a, you know, small like Snickers bar or something with it. Um, it was great. Yeah. I don't know why we don't do that everywhere. I, I, that is so cute. Um, I love that. In Colorado, you could register, I think when you were 17 and a half, maybe a little bit later, um, you could pre-register. And, uh, and that, I always thought that was really effective because you had six months to do that. Um, one of the, the nerdy perspectives I have is looking at, and I guess speaking of an international perspective, I know Australia, um, A, they have voting on a holiday or it's a paid day off, which I feel very strongly we need paid day to, days off so folks can actually, you know, engage in, in civic life. Um, one of the things I do kind of more in my, my professional life is fight for paid family medical and safe leave um, at a federal level. Um, but I think it's connected to the idea that people need time off in order to vote. Um, and one of the things I learned from living abroad is that the ways that we make voting really hard um, is like, it doesn't have to necessarily be that way. That's certainly a choice. Um, I know that Australia, for example, has voting on, on a day off. Um, and then they also give everyone like hot dogs. Um, for free when they're voting, which I just think is so lovely, like a day off and a hot dog, we would have way more voter participation. Um, but yeah, my educational journey, um, have lived, you know, in, in a variety of different countries, um, which have been really wonderful. And, you know, one of the wonderful things about living abroad is being asked questions about like why things are the way things are in the United States, um, which I think gives you makes you really think about it, makes you kind of think, sit with some of the the power structures that might be in place or kind of the historical um, issues that might be kind of manifesting in different ways here. Um, and I think we have a lot to learn from social policy in a variety of contexts. Um, something I think is super interesting and important is like even looking, for example, at some of the struggles with um, the kind of institutions institution of democracy in the United States, everyone is so focused on kind of like what's happening here and as if this is like the first time this has ever happened. But I think if you look at the history of the presidential system, you know, most of Latin America is modeled off of the U.S. Constitution and the U.S. presidential system. So they'll have like a Senate and a, and a House of Representatives. They'll have a president. 
Um, so a lot of the challenges that we've seen in the past 10 years, you can look at Latin America and be like, oh, wow, like this is happening there. And I think when you have the U.S., such a U.S.-centric perspective, you're not able to think kind of in a comparative way. And thus you like kind of limit what you think might be possible. So that has been really generative. And I felt really lucky to be able to live abroad. Um, at the same time, living abroad also made me, you know, even more energized to come back to the United States because I saw like the role that the U.S. has in the world, both positive and negative, and the ways that, you know, I could use my political power, um, time and energy to impact policy here. And, and I saw how much of an impact that had in, you know, rural Peru, for example, U.S. policy has a huge impact. So that, that that perspective has always been helpful, and I try to just just learn as much as I possibly can from from the folks I've been able to meet while living abroad. That's a great perspective to have, and I think it's it's so important to be open to those experiences because we really can learn so much from others outside of our you know own communities and see the similarities and differences. And I know you've mentioned a lot of your different passions and issue areas that you uh, feel really strongly about and want to make changes in. And I know you brought up that you work now. Um, sort of in the paid family leave fight and things like that. I would love to hear a bit more about your current role and, you know, what is it? What's the organization? And tell us a bit more about what you do. Yeah. So right now I am, um, I have a kind of full-time professional job, but I'm going to talk more about my kind of, I have a nine to five and then a five to nine. I'm going to talk a little bit more about my five to nine because that's what I'm really passionate about. And uh, I think it is, is most relevant to this conversation. So I'm the co-founder and then I'm in charge of our policy research and strategic initiatives um, at an organization called the Survivor Fund Hub. Uh, And the Survivor Fund uh, is the nation's kind of first organization dedicated to providing direct uh, cash assistance. We use the term financial care instead of cash assistance, um, and I can explain why. Uh, But we're the first financial care program dedicated to addressing the economic costs of sexual violence for college students. Um, So we were started in 2017 at the University of Denver, um, and we're working right now. We're really close to filing for 501c3 status. Not quite there yet. Um, So please send any advice. Um, But we're in the process of of building out a national fund, uh, which is super exciting and really challenging and is something that we're doing with a lot of grace and humility and and, uh, it's a really iterative process, but the goal of the fund would be to provide financial care for any student on any campus um, with as little strings attached as possible. Um, And the goal of that is really to help students move, to uh, pay for medical care, to, you know, do whatever they need to do in order to, to stay in school and to finish their degree. Um, and I should have also maybe done a little bit of a content warning um, because I know that can be upsetting for some people. But yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm doing. And I think that's like the most kind of youth organizing thing I'm doing at this time. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for your leadership on on, you know, an issue that unfortunately impacts uh, so many of us, um, especially in uh, colleges and as at a young age. And uh, we, of course, are here to support uh uh, folks who are in the alumni network of Blue Future, like you are, uh, after being part of our 
recent leadership coaching program um, with any sort of thing that we can do to be helpful. Uh, as you all are exploring that, that C3 stuff, it, it is a bit of a complicated place, but, uh, but also for anyone listening, I hope uh, folks will get involved and, and donate, make a donation when, when it's available. We'll be sure to promote it as well. Um, uh, and yeah, thanks again for sharing all of that. I think now we'll take just a quick break um, and we'll come back and hear more from uh, youth organizer, advocate and leader, uh, Olivia. We have exciting news from the Blue Future team. This fall, we're introducing the Organize for Democracy Leadership Program. Together with Grassroots Stems HQ, we're offering an eight-week opportunity for training and paid involvement in critical Virginia campaigns. Join us in supporting pro-democracy leaders dedicated to upholding our fundamental rights. Are you ready to make a difference? Apply now at gdhq.info forward slash VA OFD23, or find out more information on ourbluefuture.us. We hope you can apply. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, today we're on with uh, a Blue Future alumni and uh, organizer and activist. Um, Olivia, you were just talking about uh, how uh, there's a distinction in, in your work with the Survivor Fund Hub between kind of financial care or cash assistance. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more so our not only us, but our listeners can learn more about that distinction and also the implications uh, and anything else regarding that part of your work. Yeah, thank you so much for that question. Um, this is something I've thought a lot about um, and, you know, totally accept whatever terms folks feel comfortable with. Um, I, so I use financial care to refer to a care that is occurring after a harm that somebody didn't choose. Um, so financial care is, is care with cash, um, and it's a direct and immediately useful form of support for another person. Um, and we think cash and financial care is really important for survivors of sexual violence and power-based violence more broadly, um, including you know, intimate partner violence, dating violence, stalking, and sexual harassment, um, because these are folks who have had their agency taken away from them. Um, and financial care is is kind of liquid. It's it's an agentic form of support and it really trusts people who've gone through a really hard time to do what is best for them and use um, support in the way that makes the most sense in their lives. Uh, so we kind of view financial care as a term that recognizes that survivors who need financial care are, are equals. Um, we're not giving them something that they don't deserve or need to earn. Um, and we kind of say that we care for rather than invest in, we care for rather than give to because human beings are financial objects, are not financial objects, um, but they're complex subjects. Um, so I think often we say assistance or investment as if like people were like these, I don't know, CDs or like a retirement fund. Um, and we're not, we're, you know, care recognizes our inherent agency and our interdependency. Um, so that's why we use that term. Um, and we really believe in financial care um, as a tool that's really important to address uh, gender-based violence and sexual violence more broadly, um, because sexual violence is extraordinarily expensive and many of our current systems for addressing sexual violence such as Title IX, specifically in the college context or you know, the civil criminal process, um, do not 
they're not designed to address the economic costs um, or the opportunity costs of experiencing sexual violence. Um, and something I always bring up is the intangible cost of sexual violence is estimated to be over $200,000 over the course of a lifetime. And even just specifically the cost of a sexual assault rape kit, and the out-of-pocket cost is often more than $3,000. Um, so we know that students can't afford that. Um, I definitely couldn't afford a three, an unexpected $3,000 cost when I was in college. Um, so yeah, that's why we use that term. Um, and more than anything, just like want to reflect the complexity and like context-specific lives of survivors um, and that, you know, we trust them and that they're our equals. We're not like assisting them. We're supporting them. Thanks for sharing that. I, I really like that you all chose to use that distinction and really is built into the philosophy and foundation of your organization. Uh, here at Blue Future, we really, we feel strongly about trusting young people and making sure they have their agency uh, you know, when it comes to political decisions and political involvement. Uh, so we really appreciate that perspective. And thanks for sharing that for all of our listeners. Moving on a bit more to, you know, some of the future, future plans for you, but also for your organization. What would you say is like the next step for your organization, but also yourself? Any future plans or hopes and dreams that you'd like to share with us? Ooh, great question. So we are trying to launch as a 501c3 in the next year. Uh, we're also hosting a webinar um, with NRAVE on campus on July 18th um, at 3.30 p.m. ET. Um, and I'll share the link with y'all if that's helpful. Um, and that's going to be a national dialogue on how a uh, fund should look like and what current students and former students um, kind of want. Uh, we're also releasing the first ever national study on the financial and economic costs of sexual violence in, on during an educational experience. Um, it's really crazy to me that we don't already have data on that, but we we do not. Um, so we are working on that and would would love anyone to anyone everyone who has a story to share or, or a perspective to share um, to participate in that study. Um, and then the future the future like. Broadly, um, our tagline is something we thought about a lot about, um, and it's towards survivor joy. Uh, so I think that's what I want the future to look like. Like, I do this work because I believe that when you, when people are adequately cared for and supported, they can be joyful and full and complicated people. Um, and like an experience with sexual violence doesn't d determine somebody's life. Um, so the future looks like joy. It looks like just like fun and. Um, it looks like a national fund for any student survivor on any campus. Um, and that's like our vision. It's not, we're not a hundred percent of the way there yet, but we're moving there. So, um, yeah, that is, that is what the future looks like. Hopefully. It's, it's awesome. We can see that vision in the way that you're, you're speaking, uh, about it and, um, centering joy uh can only lead to to joy and can only lead to you know developing strategies and uh services that that generate that for um survivors and for anyone who uh will come into contact with the organization so kudos to you all um, and again please let us know how we can be of service and supporting um such important work we've been talking a lot about you know activism advocacy starting from 14 to whatever age you are now 
I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about how you rest and recharge because uh, we're of the belief that this work is work of a lifetime. If we want to see uh, real change in our communities and in our country and around the world, we have to stay committed to this work. Um, and it's not going to happen in two years, four years, six years, maybe even 10 years. But every milestone, every day, we get better and we do more. But in order to do so, we got to relax, got to hang out. I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about what that looks like for you and how you stay committed to the fight. That is that is a good question. Um, I, I, you know, I work, I, I, my friends and I call myself um, a recovering perfectionist, um, which is very much a term, like I think when you're motivated by, you know, by doing social justice work, it's really easy to fall into the trap of having to do it perfectly or placing too much of your, you know, self-image on like what you're doing, um, which I think can be problematic both for the work and for you. Um, I rest by, I like love to sleep in. I love to have themed parties with my friends, big themed party girl. Um, I have a real competitive streak and like a real desire for like, like not, not fighting, but like competition. Um, and so I play soccer. I um, love to be outside. Um, like I said, I'm originally from Colorado, so just like seeing the mountains is a form of rest for me. Um, uh, and I try to my I love an arbitrary goal as a way to rest, which is really funny. But um, like I've been training for a marathon, um, and then I also just love to travel. Like love, love, love to travel. I just got back from Norway, and I'm going to Mexico City soon, um, and that I find always really fills me up um, and makes me, like, I just need, sometimes I just need a day where I'm reading a book on a beach, and that is important and okay. I want to, I feel like it's weird to not ask you all what you're doing to relax, I'd love to hear, um, but I also don't know if that's the podcast, but. Yeah, no, we can, we can, we can talk about that. Before we answer that question, maybe, um, top three party themes, uh, of recent memory. Top three what? Party themes of recent memory. Party themes. Oh my goodness. Um, we came. Oh gosh. Um, we're doing Uptown Girls. Um, this weekend. Uh, which is I like shamelessly stealing my friends' ideas. Um, so I'm going like, I, we live in DC, so everyone Uptown is like north. Um, but then also Brittany Murphy and like just a bright like somebody's coming as like the Smithsonian panda because. That's an uptown girl. Um, what else did we do? We came, we did come as your childhood crush, which was very fun. Um, we did. Oh, I'm trying to think what else. Um, like Victorian ghosts. So just we all dressed as <laughs> Victorian, like just wore all white and dressed as there. Oh, and we did a dress as your mother party, which was very fun. That was maybe my fun, my favorite. That's great. That's awesome. Um. Uh, thanks for highlighting those. Uh, for me, uh, I like to to cook a lot. Uh, that's one of the best ways that I kind of recharge and reground, like ground myself a little bit. Uh, particularly if I can cook for uh, family and friends and have people, you know, over or whatever, bring people together around the table. I always find that to be really fruitful. This past weekend, made a nice dinner for my dad for Father's Day, and that was lovely. Um, and yeah, I, I also enjoy the competitive spirit. I've been playing 
um, some tennis, um, paddle tennis, and uh, trying to join a soccer team actually soon. Uh, one of our co-founders just joined a, a team and maybe I can hop in there. Um, and yeah, I also like to meditate. Um, I think meditation is a powerful thing. It's not uh, something that uh, is always part of my routine, but I kind of can come back to it, um, especially in, in more intense periods of, uh, of pressure, uh, whether it be in work or life, to really stay, stay grounded and, and don't forget to breathe. Um, and I found a lot of uh, power in that. So I'll pass it to you, Morgan. Yeah, thanks for asking us, Olivia. I really want to be invited to one of these theme parties. They sound like so much fun. And I, I loved going to them, like when I've been a few times in like college or getting dressed up for Halloween and things like that. I think for me, I really do enjoy reading. That's like always a great way for me to relax and just get energized. And then I am a huge people person. So hanging out with people and just like whether that's just being in the same space as them, not even having a conversation, but taking a walk or watching a movie together or eating lunch together uh, really does energize me and allows me to kind of stay stay in this work, which I really, I really do enjoy and do a lot of traveling as well. I think traveling is like the best thing we can do as young people if we have the ability to and have the time, really just see other parts of the world, other parts of the country and learn all that we can learn. So maybe hitting you up for some future travel tips, especially with uh, many of the Latin American countries you mentioned. Oh yeah, definitely send anything Argentina, Peru. I have lots of thoughts on. Um, and so please send, that's, that's, that's super fun. Um, and I feel like it's so weird to not like, I normally when I'm having a conversation, I'm not talking about myself as much. So I'm like a little bit struggling with that. So thank you for answering my question. Of course. Yeah. And we appreciate you like leaning into that vulnerability and we know it can be awkward, uh, but the limelight really is on you. Uh, so definitely, you know, embrace that and things, uh, which I know could be hard, especially we, Nick and I feel the same way when we like have to talk about blue feature or stuff. It, it, it feels sometimes could be weird, but uh, one thing we did want to ask you, we talked about this a lot was organizing. And so we, we did talk about it, but we didn't really define it. And so I would love to hear in your definition what is organizing? I love that question. I think organizing is listening. I think organizing is like like being somebody's friend. Um, I think it's believing that your lived experiences matter and are connected to other people's. Um, I think organizing takes a lot more time than you think it's going to. Um, it's a lot of meetings and it's a lot of kind of just like sitting in room and in community and in space with other people. I think it's about being honest and being transparent with what you can and cannot do. Um, I, I, I think really like good organizers just move through the world and in, in, in a way that is kind of organizing, like I think friendship and being a human is, is a form of organizing. Um, and then when you're being more intentional about organizing it's like kind of fundamentally recognizing the agency and complexity in another person and asking them to participate in a broader process that'll honor that agency and complexity um i think you can't force anybody to participate but you can inspire them to participate and i think that's one of the more like the one of the more interesting and like surprising and joyful parts for me of, of organizing like 
it, a lot of my organizing has come from an idea that I've had because of, you know, a specific experience because of an, my like analytical or research understanding of an institution and then just being like really humble and, or trying to be really humble. We're all always working on this. Um, and then just talking to other people about it. Like, you know, I started the survivor fund when I was 18 and I had a friend, um, took a $105 Uber to the, the hospital to get a um, SANE exam, sexual assault nurse administered exam. I just thought $105 is so unfair, um, which is like so expensive. And then everything else just like, it just, it just felt really unfair. And so I think organizing is also like, just listening to, to that feeling that you're like, this feels unfair. Like this feels like this could be, there could be a different solution. And like asking kind of what if, what if we did this differently? That's also really important. So I, I not one answer. I think it's all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. It is all of those things. And, and what maybe can inspire or help bring people into organizing work is, is that last part about if you think something's unfair, we, we all experience that in our lives for various reasons, right? Um, and if, if we, we have that feeling inside of us, like, this is not right. This is not just. This is not fair. I don't think it should be like this. Organizing is taking action on that. Maybe it's going to a protest. Maybe it's starting a national fund somewhere in between. And we hope that if you're listening that you consider that. What, what was unfair this week in your life? And what could you do? Or who are the groups that are working on that? Can we spend 30 minutes doing some research, Googling groups that care about unfair parking tickets or whatever the case may be? Um, and along with fairness, uh, you know, I think one thing that our country continues to struggle with all the time is that we're not free. It's not fair that some of us, most of us are not free. Um, and we could define that ourselves, but that's another question we'd love to ask our podcast guests. And I wonder if you could tell us what it would mean to you or what it would look like if the world was truly free. Mm, I love this question. Um, and I, it's really, you know, aligned with my work. Um, like I think about this a lot. Um, I, you know, have really loved the work of Simone de Beauvoir, who writes about the ethics of ambiguity and how to be an ethical person kind of in a context where the world feels like really ambiguous and hard. And she really centers on freedom and like the the idea that we are fighting for a world in which everyone has the means to, you know, make their own choices um, and have meaningful choices um, in kind of an ethically ambiguous world. So fighting for that like freedom um, and kind of collective freedom and individual freedom more broadly is something I think about a lot. Um, I think if like true freedom would mean, I think it would be kind of based in material conditions um, where everybody had their basic needs met. I think that that is a very foundational part of, of meaningful freedom. Um, I think it would mean that we are more thoughtful about how our actions impact another person. You know, I think one of the the things that we don't think about when we talk about sexual violence is that it's like fundamentally a violation of citizenship. It's a violation of like 
democracy and equal participation in the world. Um, and then I think there's a quote that Rebecca Solnit has that I really love that I hold on to every day. And I'm, I might, I'm just going to read it because I think this is kind of what comes to mind when, I, when you ask me what the world would look like if everyone was free. And it is. Um, we cannot imagine what an earth without this ordinary ubiquitous damage would look like. But I suspect that it would be dazzling, dazzlingly, <laughs> I can't say that word, alive and a joyous confidence now rare would be so common. So I don't know exactly what the world would look like if everyone was free, but I think there would be a lot more joy and just more more confidence and and more just capacity to do whatever the hell you want to with your life. Um, so yeah, we're working on it. And I, I guess it's hard to define because I think my freedom is connected to other folks' freedom, but my freedom might look different than another person's freedom. So both collective and individual. Absolutely. I, I think there is, that's very true. They're all, all connected. And like you said, we we're working on it and we have to keep, keep building to that world where we are free and have that dazzling joy and, and confidence. I, I really love that quote. So thanks for sharing all of that. Well, Olivia, it has been so great to get to know you and learn more about all of your work. I would love to just give the mic back to you for one last moment. If you have any shout outs or anything that you want us to check out, we definitely will share the link about the webinar that's upcoming. Uh, but if there's anything else in the meantime, I want to give the floor to you. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you both so much for your time and also for your organizing. I, I, I love, Nick, the idea of, you know, asking what's unfair um, and, and thinking about how you can be involved in it, in addressing it. Um, I also think that's why youth voices are so important. Like young people are more likely to ask why and then also provide a really imaginative solution. So try to ask why, but also what if and think about a different a different possible because um, another possible is possible. Um, and if you'd like to get more involved um, in doing what we call the fund moving towards survivor joy, uh, please, please, please be part of the future of the fund. So join us um, on our national dialogue in partnership with NRAPA on campus on July 18th um, at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Participate in the first ever national survey on financial care and sexual violence during the educational experience. Um, and then find us at www.survivorfund, all one word, survivorfund hub.org um, and we would love donations and we'd also love you know fundraisers um, at, at like any campus around the country so please get in touch if you're interested at all um, and yeah thank you I'm so uncomfortable with all this attention but uh, thank you for your time and for listening and for creating the space you two are you three sorry Rebecca. Yeah, thank you so much, Olivia. And it's been really wonderful. And we'll be sure to link uh, to all of those things in the uh, podcast uh, description, uh, wherever you're listening. And we thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Stride Podcast. Have a wonderful day, wherever you may be. Thanks for listening to the Stride Podcast today. We would like to thank Eli Silverman Lloyd for the music for our podcast. 
and our podcast is produced in-house by the Blue Feature team. If you are interested in joining a future episode or learning more about our work, please send us an email at hello at ourbluefuture.us. We'll see you next time. Thank you.